Culture is everything. Culture will hang a lot of banners. Culture, 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 culture. The culture that we have. We've got to have a culture change. Culture change. We're going to change the culture. Complete change of culture. Build our culture. Build the right culture. Build a great culture. Build a culture. Build a culture here. Set a culture. Set your culture. You have the right culture. Anything is possible. Create culture. Culture is about people. Culture is in place. Culture in place. Culture. 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 Establish the culture from day one. Set a culture. Create a culture that would produce results. Produce results to create a culture. Create a culture that produced results. Create this culture. Build the culture. Culture. A culture. Culture. Everybody uses the word. Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coach, welcome in to episode 49. Kyle, we're one away from 50, man. Woohoo! It's pretty exciting times. People are still listening, but yeah. Anyway, episode forty-nine, uh, continuing with our decluttering season uh, series. And before we do that, obviously we have some athlete shoutouts, and I am going to start today by shouting out Shakem Griffin. Those of you who might remember Shakem and Shaquille Griffin, um, the the twins. One of them, Shakem, was born or didn't he wasn't born without a right hand, I believe it was, uh, but he had to have an emergency amputation at the age of four. Their twin brothers both ended up in the NFL, uh, and he wore number 49 for the Seattle Seahawks for a few years and, you know, left the NFL to pursue plan A, which was getting his degree and making, you know, making strides in the world outside of football. Football for him was always plan B, um, but really like an incredibly inspiring story. Um, and it all stemmed from him actually trying to cut his own hand off. I read that today as well. Like he's like four years old and the pain became too much because I think he had some nerve damage or something like that. And uh, he tried to take a kitchen knife and cut his own hand off. So his parents arranged for an emergency amputation and he's lived since the age of four without one of his hands and, you know, really just an incredible story. Uh, and so I remember actually playing with him in Madden. Um, as well. So that is my number 49. Who's yours? Mine is Tim Wakefield. Um, Dude, I had Tim Wakefield written down really? and I scratched him out. Yeah. So here, here's why I don't really have like a nostalgic thing to Tim Wakefield or anything like that. I'm not a Red Sox fan or anything like that, but we were on vacation last week in Colorado with my wife's family. And uh, I got a chance to play a little wiffle ball in the yard into the mountains. And so I was throwing a lot of knuckleballs with the wiffle ball. Um, and so that got me thinking about that. And then we were looking at numbers. I was like, Oh, Tim Wakefield was like the knuckleballer. The I, knuckleball think, I think, guy. I think baseball needs more knuckleballers, um, throwing like 65 miles an hour. And I just remember the cool thing I remember about him. Hey, he was like, a, I think he was a Roberto Clemente award winner, a couple time mm -hmm. world series champion. I think he was only an all-star one time. He pitched like 17 seasons, which is kind of crazy. Um, I guess you could argue he was kind of a compiler, but, the the cool thing that I remember about him is he pitched like 170 innings. I'm sorry, 170 pitches mm. in a 10 inning game one time uh, when I was young, um, just because 
by virtue of throwing a knuckleball, you're not really wearing your arm out. And so he was able to have a really long career. And the, the coolest thing I remember about him pitching is a lot of times like teams would have to basically have a backup catcher, mm-hmm. like a bring in, like I think Doug Marabelli was the catcher for him with the Red Sox. And so I was like, how dope would it be to be Doug Marabelli where you don't have to play, but every like fifth game and your job is literally just to catch, you know, for Tim Wakefield's knuckleball. And you basically have to hang out at a big league park and play every five days. And um, so anyway, not I thought a bad way to cool. earn a paycheck, right? No, it's not. I, there's a lot of worse ways to make a living. Um, but, you know, getting to, getting to throw some knuckleballs in the mountains last week was kind of cool. So mm-hmm. made me think of Wakefield. Good old Tim Wayfield. So that, you know, being up here in, in New England, everybody's crazy about the Red Sox. And so, yeah, your socks, you know, the socks. But I, uh, I, I'm glad I did not go with Tim Wakefield because that would have been awkward if we had both yeah, chosen. Yeah, we don't tell Tim. each other who we have. So that would have been, yeah, that would have been a first. Yeah, we, we do not. This is, we go into this blind. For those that yeah. are listening, we go into this, this part blind. And we've never chosen the same athlete. Uh, which I think is close. actually pretty amazing. We've been close, but that was, you know, that might have been the closest one to where I actually had it written down and then crossed it out. But um, anyway, so so before we jump in with this week's topic, I think last last week we had alluded to maybe doing a part two of decluttering the human component. And the more that we, you know, listened back to the episode and sort of rocketed through it a little bit, we just felt like it was probably time to just move on from that. And not to belabor the point, right? So part of part of that is also decluttering and not needing to do that over and over and over again. I mean, we could probably spend an entire month just talking about that. Um, but what will end up happening is that'll be the recurring theme as we create alignment in that decluttering. So it's not like we need to dedicate another episode to it just to basically rehash the things we said last week. So we're going to move on um, this week. And talk about decluttering that second tier of the pyramid, which is our program and our person development. And so a lot of this conversation then is going to be about that that culture work, right? That everybody loves to to say, and we we talk about climate uh, way more than culture. Like we you know we sell a sweatshirt. If anybody's interested, is climate climate is greater than culture, which is true. Um, you know, but we're going to talk a lot about climate, culture, mental health, standards, the ways that we declutter some of the gray area in our program, and especially as it pertains to leadership and character. I mean, this this being sort of the second tier of the pyramid, it doesn't mean that it's like it's still a massive part of the pyramid. Right. Like the foundation is obviously the human component, recruiting everyone every day, getting all of that piece together. But then this is the next step of that. So once we have really established that foundation of the human component of recruiting everyone every day, how do we maintain? I think, Kyle, you talked about this last week and I'll throw this to you uh, to kick us off. But last week you talked about it's not just creating the system. It is maintaining the system and elevating the system. And so when we think about our recruiting and love and empathy and all of those things within the human component, really what we're talking about in that second tier is systemizing how we do some of those things and then applying that to our climate, applying that to our culture, and constantly going through that rocket process to make sure that we have decluttered 
the things that need to be decluttered. Yeah. And let me not to belabor your other point, but let me belabor it for a second, which is going to be a little counterintuitive, but I, I, I do just want to kind of bring home the point that it was kind of difficult to move on from the human component stuff because we had talked like, and I was all in on let's do a part two, because again, I think we can talk about it for episode after episode after episode, but at some point you do kind of have to understand like, okay, it's time to cut bait as it were, it's time to move on. And if we're going to sit here and talk about decluttering certain things, then us just continually running in circles doesn't really maybe provide a, a you know, a very strong model or example for that. And so I just do kind of want to point out, like it, it was kind of hard for me at least to kind of let that go a little bit, because I do think there were some points and stuff, but it's like, you know what, at the same time, it is the most foundational piece of the pyramid. So we're going to keep coming back to these things over and over and over again. And to your your last point there about systems, yeah, it's not the establishing of the system. Anybody can do that. Anybody can steal a system and say they've established it, but it's the continuation of that system. It's the elevation of it. And then I think it's the, it's the being able to recruit other people in and allow them to start transferring or transferring some of that ownership to them where they're continuing, um, you know, that system and, and sort of removing a little bit of the onus from you uh, that we, we sort of touched on in that, that last um, episode. And, and so when I, every time I think about that word declutter, essentially I'm, I, the word for me is efficiency. How do we become more efficient in these things? How do we prioritize speed, health connections and engagement within this stuff? And so as we move up a level, we're, we're moving on quote unquote from the human component, but we're, we're not at the same time, like it's still woven into everything that we're doing. So there's a little bit of an understood um, assumption that, you know, that, that foundation is being laid. So as we get into the, the person, the program development, the, the climate piece, um, a really great sort of example you gave, I guess maybe to age us here and to kind of throw us back to the age of CDs is, you know, you used to, used to buy a CD, but a lot of times you'd buy a CD because of one song. And next thing you know, your car is full of all these CDs and you're not listening to the whole album, right? Like you're skipping Kids these around days. or whatever. Kids these days will never know what it's like to have a CD organizer on the, the, sun, the sun visor that you pull down and you're like, all right, let me find the cover art that, yeah. that, that I want to listen to. Kids will you're never driving, understand that. You're driving with your knee. You know, it's, it's like those funny little like Instagram videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, kid, dr drivers are so distracted these days. And it's like me back in 10th grade, you know, it's like you got your knee on the steering wheel and you're trying to organize all these CDs, but you know, you'd have 50 of them. And I, I would, I would venture a guess that most people didn't listen to every song on their 50 CDs. You know, you're putting a CD in, you're listening to a song or two and you're bailing, but that's, you know, cluttering up your cards. You got six disc CD changer that you go to Best Buy and get put in your car, your truck. You got to make some decisions on which six CDs you're going to put in there. And you kind of have to maximize the, which songs you want to listen to and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was a really great example because I, I think a lot of times in the name of culture, we're buying these quote unquote CDs for this one hit for the one single, for the one song that you think you like, but you're still left with the other 10, 12, 18, 20 songs on the CD. And so you're, you're essentially inviting in 
clutter. You're inviting in entropy. You're inviting in perhaps outside voices to espouse on your own internal culture. We bring in these experts. We bring in these consultants. We bring in people to tell us about our own culture. And I'm not saying that that's always bad, but when you look at the prevalence of it and what is typically the result of somebody coming in, giving us flashy speech, and then what do they do? They're gone. They leave and you never hear from them. Again. They collect their honorarium and you never get a follow-up and it's, they're, hey, they're we'll gone. just bring you back next year, you know? And so every voice that you're inviting in is another voice and it may be aligned in a little bit here or there, but they also don't know. It's, it's, I guess my point here is it's hard to speak on your culture when I don't know your climate. And the only people that know your climate as well as you do are, are the people that are with you every single day because that's what climate is. And so I'm not saying don't ever bring in a motivational speaker or somebody to help or consult on an idea or anything like that. But I do think you have to caution it and be careful that if you're inviting somebody in to speak on culture when they don't understand your climate, you're inviting the opportunity for more entropy, for more chaos, for another voice that's misaligned to what it is that you're talking about and what it is that you're doing. And if your entire philosophy on culture is to just bring in as many of these single song CDs as possible, well, at some point as a player, as a, as a staff member, as a person on your, you know, your coaching staff or as a, a GA or anybody, at what point do I have to start making decisions on who I'm listening to? And then I'm, I might even, I might even do something bad to see. I might even start thinking for myself. I might oh, even start to reflect. Can't can't do that. That. I might even start reflecting on what the last three speakers told me. And I notice a couple of things that are maybe a little bit different or don't quite line up with what you told me, you know, in our first team meeting. And so I, th I think it, it comes back to you, you just got to be careful, I think, and make sure that you're not inviting in more messiness than is necessary because there's going to be mess regardless like that. It's, it's going to happen. Like the house will get dirty, but we don't necessarily want to leave the doors open and let every neighborhood dog run in and jump on our furniture. And I think that's what sometimes happens when we just invite people in sort of willy nilly in the name of culture, just to simply check a box. And that's generally a lot of the advice that like people get is like, oh, you should contact Alan Stein. He'll come speak to you. Or you contact this person or contact that person. And I like you and I have talked about this where we've been offered the one time like, hey, come talk to my kids type of thing. And we've turned it down. Like we turned down a paying gig to do that because it's not what we believe should be happening. Right. We as holistic development allies we don't want to be part of the clutter. We want to be part of the fabric of what your program is doing. And so the people that have taken sort of the long, the long-term athlete development approach, not just on the court or on the playing surface, but also in leadership and character in, you know, in program building and program development, we will gladly work with those people because they want that long-term messaging to be the same. And so where I find that there's a, a tremendous misalignment and tremendous difficulty in this idea. And, and we're picking on guest speakers because I think it's, it's something that everybody can relate to, but it's also part of the clutter. Part of this issue is that not only do they leave and you really like, they may inspire your, your kids for what, a couple of days, maybe a week. And then we're right back to where we were. 
That's part one of the issue. Part two of the issue is with you as the coach. Yeah, we can bring in. We'll use Alan Stein as an example, even though his honorarium is probably way higher than any of our listeners can pay because um, he's no longer just the strength coach at, you know, Kevin Durant's high school. Now he's big time, right? So the idea is, yeah, we can read the book. We can internalize some of the lessons early in the summer. We can bring in the speaker as the guest speaker, and then we never touch it again. Or me as the coach, I am not taking that and creating that as a theme for what we're going to be about that year. And all of our feedback is also aligned to the things that that guest came in and said to us. So then, and listen, kids are perceptive. We know this. Kids start to think, oh, well, but that guy said, or that person said this. How come we're not doing that anymore? And so what ends up happening is their minds get cluttered. Because the messaging is different. Because it is not a consistently positive habit to message things the same way over and over and over again. And variety is the spice of life. We know that sometimes you have to say things in a different way. Obviously, we know that. The reality of what we're talking about is there are core principles to every program that need to be repeated ad nauseum because they are core principles of the program. When you allow somebody else to dictate what the core principles of your program are, it is no longer your program, it is theirs. Now, if it's the players dictating that, great. Your job is to support them in that. But when it's somebody from the outside coming to do it, now we've invited clutter into our house and we got to get rid of it. How do we get rid of it? Well, number one, and I, and I think this is something you spoke about last time, is, is maintaining a, an actual system. So I'll give you an example. And this is an on-the-court example, but I was having a conversation with a recruit um, who, you know, her team struggled this past weekend in the live weekend or the live period. And I asked her, I was like, you know, what do you think was the issue? And she was like, definitely our shot selection. Like, we just were playing a lot of one-on-one, like taking really, really bad shots. I think if we took better shots, we would win. And I, I asked her, and again, this kid does not play for me. It's a kid that I'm recruiting. Uh, and then I've known for a few years through, you know, when I was at a different institution and, you know, recruiting her there. And then obviously we knew we weren't going to get her because she's a scholarship level player. Um, I asked her, I was like, hey, does your AAU team have a system for that by which you all assess whether shots are good or not? She's like, no. I said, well, listen, come here. And that's the first thing you learn, right? We have systemized how we talk about shot selection in the exact same way that we have systemized how we talk about leadership, how we talk about positive self-talk, how we talk about our standards, how we set those standards, how we live those things. It's not going to be perfect, right? Accountability is hard. It's hard to be consistently disciplined in the things that you are trying to do every single day, right? It's 90 some odd degrees here. I'm sitting in my basement. It is hot as I don't know what down here. All I want to do is go to bed where there's maybe, a you know, we have a window unit air conditioner, right? But we have to stay disciplined to the fact that we have our podcast to do. And this is what part of that sacrifice is. Could I go upstairs with a microphone? Absolutely. Would I annoy the crap out of my wife talking really loud into a microphone? Absolutely. So I'm going to be disciplined to do the right thing just the same way we're asking our kids to do the right thing 
over and over and over again. And, and again, and I'll throw this to you with, for your thoughts on this piece, but they're kids. It's up to us to guide them. But when they get conflicting messages, that's when we're able to attack the slack and we have opportunities for excuses. So I don't really think that it's a necessity that the kids are the ones who are cluttered. I think it's the adults who are really perhaps not reflective enough or maybe just, you know, maybe they just don't know what they don't know. I mean, we didn't know what we didn't know either, right? All of these things weren't things we were born with, but we went through that decluttering process and said, hey, what actually makes the most sense? And can we be good at the things that happen the most? And how are we going to do that? And so part of that within this block of the, of the pyramid is how do we establish our climate? How do we establish the culture we're looking for by decluttering all the noise that exists in and around a program to have a singular focus on the things that are important right now and that happen the most? Yeah, this is essentially the character level, right? This is, we're talking about person and player development here. We're talking about climate. What is climate? Climate is the now. Climate is the next best decision. What is the next best decision? It's the consistency of our positive habits. What is the consistency of our positive habits? That's our character, individually and collectively. And so we, we're, we're going to have this conversation on character and, we're, and the, the consistency of a, of a habit, which means i got to make a decision. Those decisions become harder to make the more cluttered I am. And if we can process things faster, if we can limit some of those options and help streamline some of that thinking, if we can prioritize the speed, the health, the connection, the engagement, we're making all of this stuff flow a little easier, a little more easily, kind of like water down a, a hill. And I think once we get to that point, I think that, that as, as you mentioned, like it's not so much the kids that are cluttered, the students or the players that are cluttered, it's, it's us, the adults. But that clutter will eventually sort of trickle down to them, because again, we're 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 sort of you know we're believers in ecological design, and we think that people are products of their environment. And like, yes, genetics in certain situations kind of maybe set sort of a floor, a ceiling, and give you certain levels of potential and yada yada. But at the same time, like you still have opportunities to change your scenario, change your situation, make the best of something. But if you're constantly around adults modeling all of this clutter, how do you expect your students, your athletes, your kids to just all of a sudden break through that, break through those? I mean, I can't come up with a better word than habit of scene. I mean, we're just, we're just getting stuck in the same cycle. Well, I think it'd be it's over noise, over again. right? I think it's noise. Yeah, how do they break go. through the noise? That really manifests itself. If we're being honest, like that noise manifests itself as coach speak. Yes. Right. I mean, at, at a very basic level, I think that is true. That the noise that our kids have a hard time navigating through because we have not decluttered our, our program development strategies, our program development systems, our people development strategies and systems. It's because we rely too much on that coach speak. And so our kids then internalize that coach speak as the gospel. And then that what you were just saying, that cycle that repeats itself, 
that's the generational cycle that we're trying to break, right? We want to create that exponential generational change, but that starts with decluttering some of these things and saying like, hey, hold on a minute. Like, let's take take a step back and really think about some of this coach speak. And we just did a whole series of chats on this. Like, that's not really true, but we're asking our kids to just roll with it. Sorry, so I, think, I think that's what you were you were getting. At. Yeah, no, that, that was that was perfect. I, I was having a hard time trying to f- find the word, but that made me think of like, I mean, literally building a house on sand, right? Instead of rock or stone or something. Your sure. coach speak is the sandy foundation that may last for a while, but the moment a storm comes through, like you're done, right? Like it's just it's naturally going to happen. There will be natural attrition, mm-hmm. and if we're relying on that, and again, that you. People out there probably know somebody. They're in their 40s. They've been coaching for 20 years and they're like the coach speak of all coach speak, but all they do is win championships. And it's like, see, it works for them. And it's like, yeah, so far, but put them in a different situation. Take away mm-hmm. their talent. Take away the things that are going well for them. Put them in your situation where nothing is going right. How well would they handle that? And I or think give that's them where a the new job where they have is. to start over. Start, right. Maybe it was set up for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember a guy that I coached against years ago, but I mean, he, he coaches son, got a job, basically walked into a, a state championship job and won some rings at like 21, 22 years old, right out of college. He was fired before he was in his mid to late twenties, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just like, Oh, this guy knows what he's doing. So he was able to survive for a couple of years because he naturally knew what was going on because he was winning. And then, oh, come to find out, no. You know, small school, not as many competitors kind of set up for him, blah, blah, blah. I had the best players. So, you know, kind of getting us back into like what is winning, what is success and, and, and sort of that conversation. Um, but the other thing that, this, that made me think of this is we're, we're largely thinking about this through the lens of sport, which is something that everybody should want to be a part of. And it's amazing to me how miserable most people can be when they're involved with a sport, when they're literally playing a game. How many, I hate to keep tying everything back to a recruiting weekend on court 86, but how many players were miserable last weekend playing in these exposure events when they get the opportunity and the privilege to travel across the country and play a dang game, stay in a cool hotel, eat breakfast, get lunch, sightsee, and play ball. They're miserable. Why? Right? So when you think about how hard it is to stay engaged, to stay locked in, to stay enthusiastic about what you quote-unquote love, now let's take this into back to school PD. <laughs> now let's take this into arenas and, and, and professions where people aren't excited and, and, and jazzed up to go into work every day. Because I think where you and I first connected on this climate culture person coming in and rah-rah was our every year back to school PD. We pay somebody five grand to come in and give us this speech about how kids are the future and they Tell us two or three tricks on how to get kids to shut up when they're talking in class and blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm talking about. You're Mm going to tell me how to handle my class's culture when you don't understand the climate of the kids that I'm dealing with. 
of what goes on day to day within these hallways or within these classrooms. And every year somebody comes in and you know what? They all do a great job because mm-hmm. they wouldn't get paid if they didn't, right? They're pros. And yeah. you do feel good. You feel great when you walk out of there. Every teacher's high five and laugh and like, man, I can't wait to see my kids on Thursday. I am so excited. Next Thursday, I hate these kids. When's Christmas? I, you know, to be honest with you, I was that teacher that had the break countdown on my on my whiteboard as soon as school started. When's the next break? Yeah, you're just you're lily padding from yep. Labor Day to depending on when you start, right? Like we always got a Labor Day Monday, like two weeks after we started. And then it's like, okay, we got through Labor Day. All right, bet. When is Thanksgiving? All right, if I get to Thanksgiving, I only have to make it two more weeks, and then I get a couple weeks off for Christmas. And then you get into that crazy spring calendar where you're going from Again, depending on where you live, we've got Mardi Gras break down here. You might have a a fall break, a winter break, or yep. whatever. Yeah, like up Spring here we break. have February break. You know, we have right. like a week at, at Christmas and New Year's, and then February break is a kind of another winter break. Yeah. So when you get to that February break or that Mardi Gras break, how many of you in the teacher lounge are sending out a duty or talking about the speech, the rah rah that you got back in August second that had you all excited about that speech? And we sort of laugh tongue in cheek with it, but it's not far fetched. And this is you as an adult, right? Now think about how the kids are are handling that. Mm-hmm. And now again, take it into another profession where people are working like an eight to five, and you know they can't wait to get out, but they got to go to these corporate trainings and stuff like that. Like, how do you break that perpetual cycle if that culture is cluttered? And the only way to sort of do that is to stop what we're doing, take stock, rock it, reflect on it, figure out what clothes we can get rid of, what CDs do we really not listen to, what's what's valuable, what's important. Every organization in America has a vision statement, has a mission statement that we're not living out. We all have values and standards, but all of that stuff is typically pretty coach speaky. Mm-hmm. So our organization is built upon a foundation of sand. And it just washes away like the slightest hint of trouble or wind or storm or anything like that. We don't have something that can withstand all of that. And where I think this can become a little bit more of like an optimistic kind of conversation is in something like a small society, like your basketball team, where you've got 12 kids, 15 maybe, a golf team that's got eight players on it, football team's got 67, but you get a lot of influence as the leader there and you can insulate your program in a lot of ways to where you'll notice, like think about the teacher who always has kids coming in their classroom, mm-hmm. kids that don't even go to their class anymore. The bad kid in the other classroom, they want to come by because you've insulated and created that more foundational piece within your small society. That is your classroom. You get to control that a lot more than, anybody else does. And I I think that's where like, sometimes I feel like this can get sort of like daunting or like, Oh my gosh, how do we break this cycle? It's just too big. It's too much. Like that's why climate is so important because it comes back to the next best decision. And you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time, You, you you've got to be able to start it somewhere and you and you alone have the power to basically say like, all right, in this next decision, this is what I'm going to do. And that won't fix everything or solve a lot of problems right then and there, 
but that small win might stack to two or three or four and it builds some real momentum. So you mentioned, you know, every, every company, every institution, whatever, having mission statements, vision statements, core values, all of that stuff. Like, I think that's sort of the corporate coach speaky stuff where we are supposed to have these things, but how do we operationalize that? And that's what really becomes, yeah, right. That, that really is what becomes your, your foundation of your climate and it, or should that then leads to your historically, you know, your culture. And so I think a few things in terms of like practical solutions for coaches that are listening, and we can help you with all of this stuff, but you know, we found the most success when we didn't have, we, you know, we created our standards in like a co-creation model with our student athletes or with our students, right? You and I both took all of the stuff we would do with a team into the classroom and it was the same thing. And kids filled out the commitment sheet and they, you know, they had to be reflective about what do they actually want out of this experience. If you, as the leader of that group of people in that small society that you just talked about, if you can take that and not weaponize it, but actually internalize it and say, all right, my job as the environment creator, as the person who is supposed, who is charged with developing these people and this program, these people are telling me what they need from me. Why do I need to do anything different than that? If my job is to help develop this whole thing, I need to be able to take that and that becomes the starting point for how we're going to operate the program. It doesn't mean you can't have your non-negotiables as the coach. It doesn't mean you can't disagree with some of the things that they say. But at the end of the day, like, that's part of recruiting your players to the highest standard of what you want to be about. If you care about accountability, it's very easy for them to say, I want to have the experience where I'm feeling valued and, you know, I care about my teammates and they care about me. Cool. What system am I putting in place to ensure that that player feels cared about and that their teammates care about them? Are we having that conversation once a week, once a day, like how do we make sure that that is actually happening? Because when you go back to evaluate your program and see whether it has developed or not, that's also going to be your evaluation tool, right? Begin with the end in mind. If this is the experience collectively that the 12 of these kids, 60 of these kids, 120 of these kids say they want to have, well, did they have it or did they not? How close did we get? Do we know? Did you do that evaluation? And, the, and the, the reality of the situation is like, number one, this is really hard to do. And so give yourself a little bit of grace. If you're not going to, I mean, you may not get it right the first 10 times you do it. I still, we still haven't perfected that, but we're getting closer because we're getting more reps at it. I think the second part is when we haven't decluttered that process to know and sort of be like laser focused on saying, all right, this is what we've said our standard is going to be. This is how we want to play. These are our systems that are in place. So like the shot selection example uh, from the recruit, like these are all the things that we've put in place with the sole purpose of making sure that the experience that the people have, that are in our purview, the, the experience they've said they want, we are delivering as close to that as possible while also holding them to their stated contribution to that experience. 
all of a sudden evaluation becomes really easy. And I know we did, you know, a couple episodes on evaluation and exit meetings and all of that stuff, but this is the nuts and bolts piece of this. If you don't have that and all you're doing is, you know, we're bringing in, you know, a guest speaker once a week, even though that person might be the same person, they're over Zoom and all the kids are on Zoom and like this person is saying whatever they're saying and then the kids like turn off the Zoom. They're like, well, that was freaking stupid, right? If that's what you're doing or if you are bringing in somebody from the outside or you're like reading, you know, I will pick on habitudes because I think that's a pretty well-known thing or like the, 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 what's it called? The captain's manual or something like that mm-hmm. by Jeff Jansen. Right. And you're like reading through that with your players every week. Cool. Like that's good, but what's better and what's best. All right. What's better is giving them reps at something. What's best is then holding them to those reps and saying, Hey, here's an opportunity to practice that. Let's see what happens. Can we evaluate how strong our climate is when things aren't going well? Do we know when things aren't going well outside of us losing games? Do we have our finger on the pulse or like the vibe, as as Layden would say, of, hey, things might not be going the way we want them to go right now. Why is that happening? What system do I have in place that's going to help with this? Where are we with our standards? And so I, I maybe have talked about this example before, and I'll throw this back to you and I'll keep it brief. You know, I, I like we had a player one time who I had assigned an assistant coach to sort of be like her basketball IEP case manager, right? It was just like a a kid who was a little bit precocious and like needed a little bit more support. I had plenty of assistant coaches at the time and my assistant coach was amazing with this player. And like there was trust because they knew each other and whatever, right? The the human component was taken care of. And this kid had a, a propensity for like running out of the gym when things didn't go her way. All right. Well, like that's a safety hazard, right? We don't know where you are. The school is gigantic. You can't just run out of the gym and be like lost in the school. So sat the kid down and and basically just had her open her notebook to the standard sheet that we had put together as a team and said like, hey, kiddo, like, listen, like, we really love you. We think you're a really good player. But right now, I don't think you're upholding what you said you were going to do. And so I want to remind you of that, like point on this standard sheet and practice to the things you're doing well. And there's probably like 10 things on there. And she was like, I don't think I'm doing any of these well, to be honest with you. I said, great. That's a really reflective way to look at it. What's the thing that that causes us to be in here right now? And she was fully aware. She's like, yeah, I run out of the gym. Like I can't control my emotions. I'm being a bad teammate. And she wasn't like beating herself up. She was very clear about these things. And I was like, all right, cool. So what interventions can we put in place to help you? You know what I mean? And so like, that's in and of itself creating systems within systems to create an equitable experience because not everybody's going to experience those standards the same way. You may try to apply them the same way, but realistically, and this is where, you know, which is why we didn't need to do a part two on the human component episode. Realistically, this is decluttering the human component because you can have a more equitable approach to dealing with everybody in your program. If you have these things that allow your program to develop because it's able to flourish because there's less of that clutter holding it back and holding your your people back from developing to their best self too. Yeah, I think this is a true, this level in particular is sort of the true test 
for us as, as coaches and leaders to not be the least committed person in the room. Because when you're talking about building people, it's going to take time. It just is. This is where you get to be Mr. Process. This is where you get to be process over outcomes or results. Like this is where you get to live that out because this, this layer right here is going to take a lot of time. You know, the, the great thing about the human component when it comes to climate is I can change that in an instant, but I can't change your long-term, you know, positive habits overnight. That's going to take some time. And so this is a really great opportunity in this particular layer to practice what we preach and try to test ourselves and see if we can stay disciplined to a, a more process-oriented approach because we're talking about build, I mean, we're talking about building people. People are flawed. People struggle. They're gonna have good days and bad days. And you know, there, there's there's a lot that kind of go into that. And everybody, as you just said, like they're experiencing these things differently than somebody else. And it takes time to get to know them and all of that. And so I, I can't remember the exact saying or whatever, but it's like we don't you don't yell at a a bud or a bloom because they're not a flower. They will be a flower at some point, but not everybody buds and turn blooms and turns into a flower at the same exact time. So why are we going to sit here and harp on the fact this kid's not there yet while the other ones are, but yeah, look at the growth that that kid's had. Maybe that kid has, has grown more than everybody else because they had more room for it. You, you're sometimes like those hardest, the harder players, the harder students that we have to deal with. Those are the ones that have done the most work, that have done the most growth. You've done your most good there. What fun is it to take sort of a finished, ready-made product and then act like you did something with it? It's that struggle, right? It's, it's, the, it's the hard part, like going through those little mini failures over and over again and then getting somewhere. Like, again, we talk about this stuff all the time, like we're actually doing it but we're not actually doing it. We're not living it and, or we're not living it consistently enough. I'll say that as a, just to speak for the entire global coaching community, teacher community, leadership community, I'm going to shoulder that responsibility for 10 seconds here. We are not doing enough when it comes to that. We are not consistent in our positive habits as a community, because if we were, there would not be miserable kids on court 86 at Saturday morning at nine o'clock in the morning. There, there wouldn't be. Um, and not only that, but I don't think that there would be any kids on court 86 at nine o'clock in the morning. Cause that wouldn't exist either. That's a good point too. Right they'd be playing playmakers or they'd be doing something in their town or they'd be doing, you know, any number of things that kids do because when we declutter away and we really refocus on what's important in this tier of the pyramid of the program and person development, we would see that those things become unnecessary. And that my athletes long-term development will be stunted by doing some of these things that don't really align with what we're trying to get out of it and what we have said is important. And I go back to that conversation with that recruit. You know, I don't know how much they spent. Like, I've heard some crazy figures from this past weekend of, you know, family spending $5,000 for six days 
just on flights, hotels, rental cars, you know, just to get from point A to point B, not mentioning, you know, the actual fee to play on the team and shoes and uniforms and this and that and whatever. All for what? Right. How does that fit into the systems that we've designed for our climate, our culture and our mental health? Right. There's not a lot of positive mental health things happening on court 86 at nine o'clock in the morning. Or on the ride home or when the parents look at their check, you know, they're they're balancing their checkbook. It's like, holy crap, we just spent a year's worth of money on like college tuition on one summer. Right. So, like, I think in that way, when we reprioritize and maybe that's what decluttering is, it's reprioritizing what we believe to be important and really focusing on the things that that matter and the things that are those high yield, high ROI things. I'm not sure that that AAU experience is a high yield, high ROI thing. But you know what is, is learning via watching film, playing playmakers and becoming a better decision maker with and without the ball, not traveling all over the country just to play on really crappy sport courts and doing all this stuff when I could be working on my game in a more effective manner to where I'm learning, but I'm also having fun and finding fulfillment in the experience. That's what a program does that is developing, not a program that's just there to take your money. Now, I'm not saying every, every program is like that or anything, and we sort of digress to the, the dark place that is AAU. Um, sort of the upside down, but it's all sort of the same thing, right? For us, and I'll speak on behalf of myself and my program currently, and even when I was at my previous institution, like this existed at my desk, we have a culture wall and it's just all of our language. You know, it's our, our basketball language on little cards up on the wall. Most people walk in and they're like, I don't know what any of this stuff means. I said, great, because you're not part of our program. But you know who does know what all that stuff means? The kids in our program, the parents in our program. So when they sit down and watch film and they can't remember the term for something or they're trying to describe something in a basketball sense, all they got to do is look at the wall and everything is right there. Right? I'm no dummy. People need reminders. But that's another way that we have systemized our program and our personal development to understand the use of that language and then be able to speak it fluently to where we're the only ones who understand each other. Those are things that lead to actual growth and lead to actual program and person development because they're intentional and they remove any of the guesswork of, hey, what do we call that again? Hey, I don't, this is what my AAU coach calls it this. All right, well, here, this is what we call it. Plain and simple, this is the language we use. Right? And, and when kids make up a new term or we create a new term for something, boom, it goes up on the wall. The kids get to sign the card. Now they've taken ownership of that instead of just being bought in. Literally, in some cases in AAU, literally being bought in because they just had to pay to be on the team. But they're not really invested. And they're not really taking ownership of that experience. So decluttering also then allows more people to take ownership 
of an experience that you want them to have and that they want to have. I mean, no, no kid signs up to play AAU because it's not like they just, I mean, maybe that's not true. I think kids do sign up or parents sign up because they think it's the right thing to do. But most of all, kids want to do it because they want to keep playing. Right. So why not have those things in place and augment a basketball education or augment a hockey education or a soccer education or any of those things? Just the same way that my wife, who's teaching summer school right now for second graders, is augmenting and enriching their school year experience simply by creating systems for their development that transcend which classroom they're in. Thank you.